I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Yak Gadgets. For all your fine quality kayak fishing accessories, go to yakgadget.com. Pelican cases, cooler, and lighter. Go to pelican.com. And the 153 Bait Company. For all your hunting stock bait needs, go to the 153angler.com. Now let's join our special guest around the campfire. Welcome back, everyone, to the Feather and Fur podcast. Today, our special guest is Tate Obler, a fellow Griff owner and another Upland hunter. So we're going to bring him right in. Here we go. Welcome to the show, Tate. Hey, Brad. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Nice, warm summer days coming into fall. I'm excited. Yeah, it's a little fallish every morning. Last couple mornings, isn't it? It is. It is. Um, I'm excited. I mean, I'm always excited to get the bird, to get ready for the bird hunting season, get the dog out. I mean, a couple weeks, we're looking at duck season already starting. It's crazy. Yeah, what, second week in September does that open up? We're looking at 18th for the woodcock grouse opener. So. It's coming up real quick. It's. I'm hoping the weather turns a little more. I mean, it's still pretty hot during the day, but like you said, in the mornings, it's definitely cool enough to run the dogs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this morning I got in the stuff, it was like 53, 54 degrees, so it's hard to deny that fall's coming. Christmas is in the air every morning, finally. I'm I'm ready. I mean, nice foggy mornings, fall's coming, leaves changing colors. Yeah. Dogs get, my dog's feeling it. I mean, you can tell, like, she's got a little more pep in her step when she, like, when we take her for a walk at night or if I'm running her out on the river, swimming her, keeping her in shape. She knows something's coming. She was pretty birdie last night, like, fooling around in some sagebrush yeah oh yeah yeah it's hard to keep, it's hard to deny that they're ready to rock and roll too that's sure they're uh they, i think they can sense it you know what we i think they read stuff off of us so you know if you start to act a little differently you're getting a little bit more excited i think they're feeling that off yeah and you start to work them more so you know instead of just getting up and going to work in the morning you're starting to run a little bit in the morning and stuff like that so they i think they kind of figure out what's going on i agree i agree i think that i think you're right that they feel that anticipation and they also know something's coming because it went from being a lazy early summer to now we're like we're putting some miles in and we're trying to get back in shape her and I really. So you're trying to get some, con- sure. <laughs> you're trying to get yeah. that conditioning in and pretty soon here once, I mean, 
you got a wired hair. I mean, you got a Griff as well. So we're both on the we're both on the same page there. I mean, them early season burrs are a mess. Yeah, um, you know, it, it's funny because I've been uh, I've been a short hair guy my whole life. Well, not my whole life, but my my since I was like eighteen, I've had short hairs. And then um, my wife wanted a, a, a grip. I just primarily because she liked the way that they looked, and I was not prepared. I was not sure. prepared for uh, the early season woodcock. Season, the early, you know, the first two three weeks is a it's a total disaster. Oh, it's <laughs> a mess. Like, oh, I, mean, I do know it's when your dog comes up to you and can't see you anymore because her like everything is matted completely around her eyes. Like I carry a steel comb in my hunting vest just to take care of birds in the field. I've had her, her ear is welded to her eyes. She can't even see, and it's, yep. it's crazy. Um, but I was I was not prepared for that. So it's, uh, it's been a learning curve there alone. Um, and then, you know, it, they're, you know, short hairs and griffs are different. So um, they're a little bit more low-key dog, the griff is, compared to the short, short hair. Sure. But they're, they run hotter. Um, I don't know if you've had, you know, another breed other than a griff, but it's like she's, my griff is so hot. Like her body temperature must just, you know, she has a lot of hair compared to the right. short hair. So she, I have to monitor that. So, you know, when you say that the dogs understand that the, the, the weather's changing and the hunting season is coming up, I totally think my griff does because she, she's understand, she's not so hot anymore. She wants to be outside as opposed to, you know, like, can I get back into the air conditioning here as soon as possible? So it's, it's, uh, it, it's a total, it was a total transformation for me just on that aspect of home. I agree 100% there because I came from a lab. I, um, I had a lab, which, I, which was a fun, way better upland dog than a duck dog. That's how I wound up having such a passion for grouse and woodcock. He yeah. just was very high strung and he was steady, but he was never steady enough for the blind. He'd get anxious. He'd want to run around and I'd let him run because, well, he was anxious and it, 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 he was just going to frustrate me if I didn't let him burn some energy. But he took to the woods like a like a maniac. Like he loved it. Like I knew when we hunted a, when we hunted a section there wasn't a bird left behind. Like I had a hundred percent con- like, cause he just was thorough, but I, but that was a huge change for me. Cause I mean, it'd be a quick tick check after a hunt and I was drinking, I was sipping on whiskey and now it's like, I'm two cups. I'm two, I'm two glasses of whiskey in by the time I got the burrs out and I haven't even started the tick check yet. Yeah. What's um, what, what made you decide to go from a lab to a pointer? I know up in my heart. I know I'm a more of an upland hunter. And I wanted to start hunting over a pointing dog. I wanted a dog, though, that still could handle cold water. Mm-hmm. And my wife no longer wanted a dog that shed more. <laughs> like she was tired of constantly vacuuming up hair or telling me to constantly vacuum up the hair. So I know I wanted something that was lower shedding, which a griff is. I mean, they still shed, but they don't shed like a lab. Um, I wanted something that could handle the colder Wisconsin winters, like when Cause we do a lot of like, she'll come out with me ice fishing, but like really for like that cold water duck hunting, I, I wanted something that could handle that colder water. And I really wanted to make the transition to a pointer so I could maybe actually like hit a grouse occasionally. <laughs> Did it help? No, <laughs> not at all. It doesn't, does it? It's, nope. it's, uh, you know, um, yeah, that's, it's interesting to me because our stories are similar. I grew up with grouse or with, with, with grouse and with labs. Um, my dad had labs and golden retrievers and the go- I was too young to remember the golden retrievers for the most part. I remember them, but I don't remember behind them. I think I was too young, but I don't remember the, like the burr issue. And my dad sure. had chocolate labs 
And I don't remember the burr issues. You know, I don't remember um, him combing them out. But um, when I turned, now it says 19, I got my first short hair. And then it was like, I mean, it was completely, to go from hunting behind a lab, which is nothing wrong with it. Labs are amazing dogs. But um, they have their, in my opinion, and I don't, I don't ever want to start a debate, you know, on it. But in my opinion, every dog has their place, right? It's just, to me, there's nothing more beautiful than a versatile dog working upward bird. Now, there's nothing more beautiful than a lab retrieving a duck that fell, you know, 75 yards into the swamp and bringing, you know, perfect retrieves in hand. There's nothing more beautiful than that as well. But in the upland world, versatile dogs, are, to me, it's where it's at. So when I got that first short hair, it was like, I, I, there was no, no turning back for me. Um, uh, by admission, my first short hair was not, she was a great dog, but she's nothing like my current short hair and my current chef. I just didn't know what I was doing. Wasn't involved right. in any clubs, you know, I was kind of winging it. And um, <clears throat> so back then, you know, my, my growth percentage and woodcock percentage was so low. It was just the love of the sport. Um, you know, those, those crisp mornings where you get out there and you hunt them and just the love of that, that kept me coming back. Sure, so, absolutely. Um, kind of stories that's pretty similar there. Um, I have nothing against labs. I love them as far as, as like when I get older, I think I'll probably have labs again because, you know, as well as I do, Griff has probably made it a little better in a short hair, but they don't like to sit still. They like to go do stuff. They're off snuffing around in a lab, man. They'll just text me in the coach all day. That's all it's oh, yeah. They, so. Oh, yeah. That's, I will say that. I mean, my Griff has a pretty good on off switch, but my lab, night and day difference there. I mean, he, I'd work him hard, he'd stay in shape. But if I wanted to be lazy, especially because I had him when I was younger, I got him in my early 20s. And there was plenty of mornings I was super hungover after a night at the bar, right? I mean, he'd totally get it. And he'd just lay up next to me on the couch and be like, we're good today. I don't care. My griff's gonna, my, 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 my griff will be like pushing at me like, hey, are we going to go for a walk? Are you going to take me for a walk at least? Like, we need to do something. Are we doing anything today? This is right. Yeah. And then like my griff is pretty laid back. And I'm, sure, I'm pretty blessed. My starter, she's almost, she's four and a half. And she's, she likes to lay around in the day. I think it's an age thing, but as far as like get up and go compared to my dad's lab, there's no comparison. My dogs are like, they're constantly at me. If it's time to eat, man, like there's no fooling them. It's, it's time <laughs> to eat, you know? So. I will say that my griff though is not very, not very food motivated. If I, when I get out the food, she's running. But if it's, if I'm busy, like we normally feed her at like five at night when I get home from work, but if I'm busy or I come home late and my wife works from home and she's in a meeting or something and it hits six o'clock, she's still laying there. Like she's not bugging anyone, surprisingly. Like as soon as you get the food out, she's excited, but she'll never actually be like, hey, it's dinner time or my lab. He'd look at you and start barking. Like he'd be like, I'm hungry. Feed me now. Uh, as far as with my two dogs, my my short hair is much more food driven. I mean, she if it's time to eat, she doesn't much. She doesn't quit. She's there. She's in your leg, constantly butting you in the leg. She's sure. Like, no. Griff, I think, I think Rosie, it was, so my Griff is Rosie and my, my uh, short hair is Ruby, which if I could make any suggestion, never name both of your dogs, start with the same letter ever. I, I can see that being an issue, especially for like, from like a duck hunting experience. Like if you're like for steady, that's got to be really hard. Well, but I, if you... hunt, I generally hunt them alone, if that makes sure. sense. Sure. Nope, it does. Absolutely. If I have, that was the main reason, besides my wife wanting a dog, that was the main reason I got two dogs. Is 
it was to extend my weekends up north. Um, yep. If you run a dog for two, three hours in the morning and two, three hours in the afternoon uh, for drills, they're pretty beat up. And it's hard to do that for longer than maybe a day and a half, two days, you know, maybe. You know, I, it's, I it's agree. Hard on a dog, you risk injury and stuff like that. So that's my favorite part about it. But if I'm up north for anywhere, even here, if I'm hunting for just a, a day, if I only have a day to get it done, I'll run a boat at the same time. Um, but it is, it's hard, you know, that, that's not their steady word. That's their go word. So like, all right. I, so like, you know, if they're, if I'm sending them to go retrieve, you know, like sure. Ruby or Rosie and tap yep. them on the head and it's, you know, I say both of their names at the same time most of the time because it's like, and it, sometimes it doesn't really matter. You say it starts with, as long as it starts with an arm, you're hitting one of them on the head. It doesn't matter. But sure. It but don't ever do it. <laughs> Good to know. And I, I, I get that because that's their release command, which, and that's real popular for most trainers to use the first name, the dog's name as the release command. So I can really see that being like, I mean, that's, yeah. I'd also mix it up probably half the time too. <laughs> it's hard at first, especially I remember when I first, because, <clears throat> Like I said, my first dog, I tried to wing it. Um, and then when I got my second short hair, um, I joined that. I joined the Net, local Mavda club. Sure. And then they, you know, helped me with the tools that I needed to actually successfully train a bird dog once. And uh, they—that was one of the things that they said. And but I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. So it was like they gave me the opportunity, the the tools to, to train my dog properly. And that was one of the things was you know you you start out by giving them their food and then to teach them that they have to wait and just give them their food and then make them steady until you give them the release command. And it was their name. Now going back and doing it again, I would maybe switch it up with a different word and not their name. Or if, I don't know if I would or not, I probably sure. not because I'm so used to it, but you know, it's one, one way to get around it, but I didn't know. You know what I mean? It was right. kind of weird at the time. Right. But then if you use the same word for both dogs, you're in even a worse spot. That's a good point too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you use their name, then they you know they each have their own name. So yeah, that right. Makes sense so, yeah, a, but I mean NAVDA and like I didn't I didn't join NAVDA. Um, I actually did go to a couple meetings. Um, I had nothing like NAVDA's great, but I rescued my Griff F six. She was mm -hmm. so far behind the curve that I just kind of, and she's been already been hunting, so I just kind of brushed up on basic obedience. And she kind of is what she is. Like she's never. I mean, by the time like I got like I had a. I had other issues I need to work on, needed to work on with her first before we focused on bird hunting. Like she was aggressive towards my lab, extremely aggressive towards other dogs, aggressive towards people, aggressive towards kids. So I had some mo emotional trauma I had to work out first before we started really working on hunting stuff. So I never got to that next step with her, but I did work with a local HRC and I can't say enough, like clubs are, if you're going to train a dog yourself, I would never do it without a club. I, I, I'm not saying I'm a dog trainer by any means. Um, I know my way around a bird dog at this point. I mean, it's been five years since I've been doing this. Like, so I mean, I train daily for the most sure. part. Um, but I would never do it without the help of a club. You know, I mean, they, they give you the tools, they give you the resources, they give you the knowledge. There's always somebody there to lend a helping hand. So, right. Um, good for you for, understanding what the dog needed before just like jumping in and deciding that you were going to have a gun hold bird dog, you know, because you can't have a dog in the house unless it's one of these animals, right? Exactly. I mean, I wouldn't say she was abused, but she was neglected. I mean, when we got her, her mats were so bad, you couldn't tell the difference between ear skin and hair. Ooh. Like it took days 
of constant slow grooming her just to get her coat back to a halfway decent coat. And like her tail didn't wag for almost a year. Uh, I mean, it was like now, like, man, like you should like, you should like last night we had her on the boat. Like she's got her head in the wind, tail wagging, running up and down the sand. Like her, like she's happy now. Like we still have to be careful around other dogs. She's vocal first though. Like she'll vocalize like, Hey, get away from me before she goes full on crazy dog mode. Mm-hmm. And then still have to be slightly careful around kids. Cause if they push her too far, but again, I've got her to the point where she's vocal at least. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. So, I mean, we've made great progress and now she's not like, I just look at her and I'm like, man, you would have been an amazing dog if I would have had you at six or 12 weeks old. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is I heard a quote from one of my bird training mentors. Um, I'm going to screw it up and get at that, but it basically goes along the lines of the best bird dog in the world is one that's never even seen a bird. So, I mean, like if you think of how many dogs, you know, everybody right. likes the best bird dog that's why i did this um that's why i'm where i am right now but there's so many dogs out there that you're never gonna have the best the best bird dog probably is living in downtown chicago and gets walked around town on a leash you know what i mean yep it's impossible you have to roll with the punches you have to take the dog that you have you know i'm not one of those guys that say i don't take a dog and if i don't like it i'll sell it on the river and get a new dog when i buy a dog that's my dog Something happens like the kid, whatever, we'll, we'll worry about that when it comes. But um, it's, it's one of those deals where you need to, you did a great job. You did exactly what you should do is, is, is if you have a dog that you have to leave in a crate all the time, first of all, that sucks for the dog. That sucks for you. And then I don't think you're going to have a good dog in the field either because you don't have that bond. You don't have time that you spend together all the time. So that's awesome that you did that. And I think rescue dogs, I'm not... Not saying I am or I'm not a rescue guy, but I've never had a rescue. But um, I think they get a bad rap. Like everybody thinks that these, you know, like oh, you just inheriting somebody else's problems. And you know, I think sometimes that's true if the dog is too far gone. Sometimes you right. can't see that. They always have their quirks. But like my Griffin, she has quirks, and she was. I got her. You know, I brought her home when I was supposed to. Sure. So she, she's got. Um, she's got. Separation anxiety horribly. I don't know if it's a drift thing because most people that have drift say that their dog, their drift doesn't like to be away from them. But you know, she's got that. She, she's they all have their quirks. So. Yeah. See, my, you my, gr- my grip isn't too bad on the separation anxiety. We'll see when COVID's done because my wife's been at home for 18 months almost now. But before, I mean, she'll still go and just lay down underneath the desk in the office by herself, not around us, or she'll go in her kennel because her kennel's always open in our bedroom. She'll go sleep in her kennel for hours. Like she'll 
just go on her own. Like she's very independent that way. And even it was even more so when my lab was still around, like when he, like she would just go disappear in the kennel for hours at night after we would take them for walks or I'd run them in the yard, like work them in the yard, like throwing bumpers or whatnot. She'd just go and be like, all right, this is my own time. So that way there, we've been, we've been pretty, we've been pretty happy with that. Like pretty blessed there. Like at least we're not dealing with like massive separation anxiety on top of all the rest of the stuff. But when you say quirks, I mean, mine's, I mean, don't like anything in a white coat, man, she'll, she'll run. She will like the vet is a complete nightmare. Like if you ever want to, like, if you ever want to see true primal fight or flight and a dog come with me when I try to take my dog, it is primal fight or flight. Like it's to the point where she wants to like chew my hand off to get away from me or hide underneath my legs to save her. And you got to wonder why. You got to yeah. wonder why that is. You know what I mean? And they all have that. They all have the things that, that my my short hair got bit like in the rear end by a bee one time. And now she like if there's bugs around, she she goes nuts. She just starts like chomping at them and jumping around and doing this. And it's like it's annoying, but you, right. know, you can't blame her, you know. So it's right. It's funny. They all have their quirks. They're agreed. Just like humans, right? Oh, yeah, everyone's different. And yeah. that's like the nice thing, like with when you work with a club. And like I said, I met all the people at the, my local NAVDA chapter. I went to like to a couple of their training sessions before I even got a grip, before I rescued this one, because I was on the list to get a puppy. Um, I wanted to like introduce myself with the club so you get the feel for the club. And the nice thing about that and HRCs for like your retrievers and all that other stuff is there's always someone there normally that's already experienced what you're going through and can help you work through it. Like, and then when you get that experience, you can help the next guy below you. Like, Hey, my dog had this exact same issue in the field. Here's how we worked through it. And there's all that common knowledge. And there's this group of people that have the exact same goal in mind, which is to make a great bird dog, not the best bird dog. I mean, everybody wants the best dog, right? But everyone, but most people are realistic at the end of the day, you just want to make your dog be the best you can. Yeah. And you know, my first short hair was trying to do it myself. We would go to, like, if like, for instance, if we would go to a, a bird farm, I'd let her out of the truck. And before we could even get our shotguns loaded, she'd be out, like, busting birds and running around, and she would just clear the field. And she's a great dog. I mean, she's probably still my favorite dog ever because she was my first dog that I ever had. Mm -hmm. She had a great personality. But um, when she was gone, it took me a while to recover and want it, another dog. And then when I decided to buy one, I got one from a pretty local breeder. And they're, they are the one that run the local NABBA chapter. And they were pushing it, not super hard, but they, you know, I mentioned what I was looking for out of a dog. And they said, uh, you should really think about joining because we have the same exact thought process behind it. It's like, you know, if, if I would... If I would run into a problem like this year, my first year training, next year somebody else might have that same problem, and I can be like, "Oh, hey, you know what? I know how to fix that." You know what right. I mean? So it's like I do. That's something that that's just instead of going out and trying it yourself in a public place, which is you can do it. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but you know, you don't have that that like now you're going to be googling and youtubing and trying to find it. Whereas if you're in a part of a club, any club. We have 25 or 30 people there that are like, oh, we should try this or we should try that or whatever, you know? Right. So it's a great. And the camaraderie is crazy. Like, some of my best friends came from, you know, meeting them five years ago when I, when I bought my dog. So sure. It's, that camaraderie is there too. Absolutely. I mean, when you have 
group guys together and girls. I mean, there was plenty of girls in the, in the Naptic chapter by me. When you have that group of people together that all same, share that same common focus, I mean, you're going to make friends. You're going to meet people. I mean, and it can lead to some really great things like if, like I went on hunting trips I never would have went on if I hadn't met some people that I met through those things. Yeah, you know, and, and that, that's an absolutely great point. Um, the people that I met and the girls that I've met and everything like that, the kids that I've met, you know, my, my wife actually ran my grift through her NA test because um, she wanted to. She was so interested in it now that we've had another younger kid that she's kind of removed herself and I've continued with her training because, you know, I didn't want to, slow down and didn't want to laugh or anything like that but right um there's so many people there that are doing it it's it's crazy that like it's crazy to imagine my life without it at this point. and dogs and and all that stuff it's it's and, and uh, i think that i don't know maybe you disagree with me but the, the people the amount of people that really are into upland hunting um and dogs like the way that we are you know like i guess <laughs> the way that i am <clears throat> There's not a lot of us. It's not like, I mean, white tail guys are everywhere. I mean, you right. go everywhere. It's everybody's a white tail guy. Everybody's a, and there's nothing wrong with that. But like the plain guys like us that are crazy about bird dogs and crazy about grouse and woodcock, there's they're not around. I, I was talking to a kid that works for me today, and I mentioned that I was going to be on a podcast, and he's like, he's like, guys, yeah, that's I think that's pretty cool that you could be on there because they're all like, oh, like most people that are into grouse hunting, they're all like old guys. I'm like old guys, and I said, "What? Well, like, so how old are we talking here?" And he's like, "I'm like 40." I'm like, "Going two years, I'm old." <laughs> no, but he's like, he's like, you know, usually you think about talk about guys that are up north, all something, and going up north and doing that. They're all like 50 plus or 60 years old, and I'm like, really, he's not that wrong. Like the majority he's... of the people that are, I mean, there's, I think you know, with Project Upland and all those guys, it's a, agreed, it's kind of a downswing on it, but for the most part, it's a little bit. It seems like it's a little bit of an older thing, and there's not a lot of people doing it, so. It's, uh, it's cool to get around people that do do it and they do have uh, the passion to do it because it's not like you just walk down the street and you're like, are, are you a girl hunter? Right. It's not like white hunting where everybody does it. Right. Good way to meet people. And then, uh, yeah, you, like grouse is pretty popular. Like you get, you have a lot of people that have hunted grouse for years, but then you get into this like woodcock hunting, which I fell in love with right after, like during grouse hunting because in Wisconsin here, we don't have pheasants. I mean, we have put and take pheasants, which isn't really my bag. But once I've stumbled into woodcock in a flight up north and I realized they're a migratory bird and I can chase them around me locally during the migration, that changed everything. Because now I can chase a wild bird through the woods and it's so similar to grouse hunting. And, and that's what I truly love to do. Now I don't have to drive four hours. When the migration's in, Oh, you'll catch me in the grouse woods before anywhere else, or not the grouse. I mean, the woodcock woods before anywhere else. I look forward. I don't. Last year, I don't think I killed a single pheasant. That I want. I think I went on a couple of upland hunts, like at game farms after the season was closed. But sure. If I'm not chasing woodcock, I'm chasing grouse. And if I'm chasing woodcock and not grouse, it's probably because I don't feel like driving three hours or we got something going on, and I can do it around here. You right. know what I mean, I think. You hit the nail right on the head. You don't, you don't have a resident uh, pheasant population anymore. So, it's, and to me, to kill birds that you know two hours ago had blinders on, you know, I mean, I backed in the parking lot where where they they drop pheasants and they're like sitting in the parking lot. Like they yep. like I get out of the door, and that's not that's not why I hunt. It's not why I, I don't I don't need to go shoot two birds and then go home in five minutes. I want to watch the dogs. I want to run the dogs. I want to be out in nature and and, and enjoy myself. So. 
you know, you know, I mean, at least there's some meat there, right? But right. woodcock, there's such an awesome little bird that, and it's just completely wild. They're not, it's not a pen-raised bird. It's not, it's, they're completely wild. And, and like you said, if you hit the flight just right, if all of a sudden they're there, you know, if, you, if you're there when they're there, it's going to be a crazy time and you're going to be, you're going to have more fun than you could have with planted birds. I promise you that. Oh, I agree hundred percent. I wound up taking my wife once grouse up or we took, went pheasant hunting for her first time. And, and then season progressed and the flight came in and I took her out for a woodcock hunt in one of my favorite spots. One of these little spots, which I've never seen another woodcock hunter in, which is pretty phenomenal actually. And it, and it follows this river channel and like, it's got like just the perfect amount of like everything. Right. And, um, we went in there and my lab put up, I think it was 34 birds in an hour. Wow. And That's she, and she, and, and some of them were multiple flushes. Cause you know, Woodcock will land like 30 yards away sometimes. Cause I don't know why they're just not smart, but, um, but they're smart in other ways. Cause they'll hold, they'll hold so tight that they don't even want to move. Yep. But you're probably right. They probably are just tired, but we put up 34 birds and it's like an hour and a half. And, I walked away. That's the last time I got my limit, but she got to experience that. And she's like, and she, she was just blown away. And I look, and afterwards I'm like, I've been doing this for a long time now. And I have never experienced anything like that. Like that. I mean, I've had great hunts where like the buddy who I always do grouse camp with, who's been on the show, Steve, um, mm -hmm. him and I, have, we, we have had some great woodcock hunts where we've both taken limits and we've put up dozens of birds, but nothing in as small of an area as what we had it was just out of this like a flight had to have just landed the night before it was it yeah. was incredible we had uh never 34 birds in an hour and a half but i've had uh two man limit in under an hour and it was downright crazy it was like my this and so my one of my good friends also is my cousin he now has a short hair and this hunt was the reason for it we were up north and we hit, we were, we were moving grouse, but we just weren't connecting. So it was like, he, so he was it's normal back. grouse. It's normal grouse hunting. Right. But <laughs> when you're taking somebody out with you, it's kind of like, I don't ever have a problem taking out somebody grouse hunting that understands that grouse hunts all the time. But right. like, to take out kind of a new guy, you know, somebody that's just getting into it, kind of frustrating. You know what I mean? Like to understand that they're the king of the woods for a reason. It's, oh, yeah. Can't, like they yeah. got to, you got to, you have to experience it and you know really learn what it's like. I mean, the peasant goes up; it's a big production, and then they're not super fast moving, and then you shoot them, and then they, you know, it's in the wide open. You go across something, and it's everything's so fast. It's oh, it's it's extremely fast. I mean, it play, and so many, and that's what's hard with new hunters too. Yeah. Like so many things play into that because it's a hundred percent instinctive shooting. You can't yeah. mount your gun. You can't get your perfect swing. It's like if your gun mount isn't right you're going to struggle over and over and over again. And not only from a fitted shotgun, but even to just the repetition of mounting your gun. I mean, it, it's all instinctive and they fly up, they fly down, they fly left, they fly right. There's no pat. Like there's, they breathe between trees. Sometimes you're just shooting at, you like, you see them and you shoot. And it's like, nah, I might've hit them. And then the dog brings the bird back. It's like I'm right. following it. And I went behind a pine tree as I was pulling the trigger. And you know, it just so happened to connect with it. But we were, we were on the hunt to switch over to woodcock because I know we could get on some woodcock, right? And uh, 
like you said, it must have just been the perfect time. So you, you work into the spot, starting to get a little squishy underneath the feet, uh, starting to get close to some running water. So you just sure. to a little bit more productive. And uh, one dog's on point. I walk in there, flush the bird, doesn't shoot. He turns around, notices that my other dog's on point. He was on point the whole time. He turns around, shoots that bird. I go retrieve the dog, the, the bird from the first dog. He turns around, she's on point again. And it was just like in an hour, it was like boom, 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 boom. We get back to the cabin and he's like, is it always like that? I'm like, I wish I could say yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is. I mean, you know, you, it, it can be, but it's like you work. You, those are the days that you hunt for. You hunt for those right. happy days, you know, all year long to get those two days where the flight is there. And it's like crazy. You wish the limit was like 12 because you can just chase and chase and chase. But um, it's. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan, for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash waypoint. That's mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. It's not like anything that you can, people don't understand, and it's good to talk to people who do understand because people are like, why would you? It kind of seems like crap anyway. It's like, well, more for me then, I guess. They, you know, right. I like them. I, I think they're delicious. And like, you know, and then you get to, well, my dogs don't like to handle them. Well, you know, I love to handle them. So, you know, I've never experienced that in the field of all the dogs I've been around. I've never had one that has refused to pick up a woodcock. Like, I don't, I don't know if it's partly myth now or if it's still like legitimate, like some dogs just won't handle a woodcock for some reason. I don't know if I've ever seen a dog not handle a woodcock. I think if you have a dog that is for such to train retrieve, whatever you want to call it, I think, I think the difference is I think those, up, those small upland birds, like a grouse and a woodcock, I think they lose their feathers so easily. And when, that, when they pick up those birds, feathers come off in their mouth, and I think that's very awesome for them. So that's why sure. I, think now, I don't know that they have a foul taste, but they, but they did. Um, but I think, you know, if you ever notice, even they throw the grouse or woodcock, there's feathers everywhere. They put all the right. feathers. They're, they're, you know, they don't have feathers hanging out of their mouth like they do with the grouse or woodcock. I mean, crap, you can shoot a grouse and it could bounce off of like three branches on the way down to, you know, to the ground on, off a pine tree and it could basically be bald at the bottom. So, right. You know, right. I mean, I think you are. What's more stuff put into them is that feathers in their mouth. I don't think it's just a crap. I think it's a myth. That's that's why I always get impressed when I see these like some some like pictures where people still have these beautiful tail fans on that on their grouse and whatnot because I'm pretty sure almost every time every time I get a bird back to my hand and my dog's pretty soft mouth my lab wasn't my lab was pretty hard mouth for a bird on the ground in the water he was fine he'd always struggle trying to figure out how to pick up a bird like he would always like couldn't like it was like soft so he couldn't like yeah he just couldn't wrap his mind around it. But I don't think I've ever had a dog bring a bird back, a grouse back to my hand that actually still had all of his tail feathers. We were up with, um, I was up hunting with a buddy up north one time, and he shot a bird that had it flushed. It was perfect flush, came out, and I could tell it was like an Africa color. 
and he shot it at itself. And he had been talking about wanting to mount specific colored birds, something reddish, you know, whatever. It, sure. For a long time. And it was my dog pointed it, but he just thought the bird flushed right in front of him. He made a beautiful shot. And as it fell, I noticed no feathers fell off. So I rolled my dog and I said, if you were thinking about mounting a pheasant or mounting a grouse, this is the one. I said, I can tell you that this is the color, probably the color that you're looking for. And it didn't look like it lost any feathers. Did the dog touch it? You're not going to be able to get it mounted. It lost over and it was in perfect condition. He, he's about to stuff in it. I said, no, we're going to walk that all the way back to the truck. We're going to fly with to do a Ziploc bag and then we'll come back. Because otherwise, you know, I don't, and I don't know why. I don't know why they, I've never done any research on it. Maybe somebody knows, maybe somebody can comment or whatever, but <clears throat> I don't know why they lose their feathers so easily, but I think that's why their dogs, dogs don't like to carry them in their mouth. No. And, and I would, I mean, it's, it's real easy to tell when you have a couple like grouse or pheasant in your vest throughout the seat or woodcock in your vest, but then you put like some pheasant in there. I mean, like the amount of feathers just in your vest is night and day difference between a pheasant and like those grouse and woodcock. I mean, your vest just kind of like, like you take the birds out and like there's feathers coming out with them. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Totally agree. Sometimes you pull the, you pull so many feathers like, like this bird is just going to be like the breast and you pull it out and you're like, no, oh, there's still some feathers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I have no idea. I've never thought I've never actually even stopped to think about that until right now. But you're 100% right. I mean, them grouse and wood, they don't hold their feathers once they once once they hit the ground. That's just the stupid stuff you talk about when you're bombing around in the woods with a bunch of buddies. And, you know, like, geez, did you see that bird? It must have lost all its feathers when it hit the tree. And then it's, the conversation just spirals out of control. And that's, you know, you've got the world's problems figured out, especially with feathers and stuff like that. So. <laughs> That is that. That's the great thing about hunting with friends, right? I mean, the conversations lead anywhere, like just <laughs> randomness sometimes. Just especially when, it, especially if the hunt's slow. But that's what I like so much about upland hunting compared to deer hunting is you're constantly moving, you're constantly traveling, your dogs are working, and you can sit there and talk to someone else, and you don't have to be all whisper quiet and hiding or anything like that. Well, I think that's to me that's my favorite part. I would. I mean, I'm not white though. I try to put them in the freezer every single year, but as far as like, I don't want to sit there for five hours and not talk. Right. You know, I don't, I don't, it's hard, it, and it's really hard for me. I invest a lot of time into my dog. And it's really hard for me to go and do anything that doesn't involve them. Because I know that they'd rather be doing whatever I'm doing, and I would rather them be doing what I'm doing. So it's really hard for me to, to make that transition to say, okay, I need to go and do it. Because right. I'd rather be, I wish there was more meat on grouse because then I wouldn't even need beer and I could just do what I'd rather be doing. But I, you know, I really like to kill a couple of beers so I can eat grouse here. So, but it's like, I really have a hard time with that. That's why, that's why I spend a lot of time in the woods chasing birds because that's where my heart lies. Um, and like you said, there's just something about, you know, that nice morning, nine o'clock in the morning, and you know what? I don't have to get out of bed at four thirty. Right, right. I can I can get up. The birds are probably hitting the ground about seven thirty. Let them dry off a little bit. Let the woods dry off, and then I can get out with my buddies at nine o'clock. I mean, you can get up and have a cup of coffee and sit the breeze for a little bit, and then let's go chase some birds for a couple hours, and then we'll meet for lunch, and then we'll go do it again in the afternoon, and then we'll sit around and keep the breeze, go to bed, and do it tomorrow all over. Again. Right. Not to worry about getting up and being sleepy, and I don't know. It's just, there's no. But everybody's got their thing, right? So it's hard. Right. To, exactly. And I think. I'm, I think you hit the nail on the head too. It's the fact like we put so much time into our dogs and I feel guilty 
when I go out deer hunting because I know I could be taking them out bird hunting instead. Like the, the last year I actually chased archery really hard was the year my lab hurt his paw. Um, it was, I think it happened up in grouse week and then we hunted pheasants after that. We did an earlier grouse thing and he had a, some sort of thorn come through the top of his paw and split it wide open. And he got like seven stitches, I think it was. And like he was laid up for a handful of weeks because of that. And I think that was the, the last time I remember actually hunting archery season hard. Otherwise, I'll go out for gun deer. Hopefully, hopefully put a deer in the freezer for the wife and myself because one deer is about all we really need. I mean, one deer lasts us for a year normally. Um, and otherwise, I'm going to be out either having the dog with me for ducks or like – and ducks don't come until later in the year. Because ducks come once it, like we get enough snow where it gets really hard, like with boots and all that and the dog. And at that point, I'll just probably hunt ducks more local. But in October, yeah, we're in the woods. We're, we're going, we're driving up north for day trips. We're down here for woodcock. I mean, we're spending every minute we can in the woods looking for grouse and woodcock because that's what she loves to do as well. Yeah. And that's, it, it's a family sport, you know, right? So right. You don't have to, I don't have to. And try to get your kids to do everything with you to open their their minds to all the all the things that you do and allow them to have every opportunity. But it's hard to make a young kid sit still and be quiet and shut up. It's way less hard to put them in put them in an orange vest and be like, you can do whatever you want as long as you don't, as long as you're out of the way when the dog comes. You know what I mean? It's, right. It's it's a family sport. Dogs are a family sport. It's training is a family sport. Um, you know, and it's your recovery is a family sport. Your butchering right. is a family sport. Right. But like the act of deer hunting. You no, know, we've tried the state of Wisconsin tried so many things with like youth seasons and all that other stuff. We didn't have that one. We just said, sit in the stand, shut up. Come and get you when you're going in. And I don't think kids are gonna do that anymore. Like I don't I know my daughters, my my oldest daughter, she's no way. She'd be like in like fifteen minutes she'd be like, Can I get out of here? You know what I mean? Right. So it's a good opportunity to get them in the outdoors and get them to experience, you know, a different type of one thing. Um, and you can start them. And, and I don't have kids, but from my friends that do, you can start them younger. Like, because like you said, they can walk around. I mean, to them, they're exploring the woods, right? I mean, like you're, like you said, you don't have to sit there and be quiet for four hours for a morning sit. I mean, when they, yeah. they, they can run around, I mean, worst case scenario is what they bump a bird. Big deal. I mean, really, big deal. Who cares? Yeah. And, you know, like you could pack a little lunch along with you, do a little day, little day lunch thing and sit in the woods. And we've done that lots of times. We go up and look in the cabin and just jump in the truck at nine, a bunch of snacks and some stuff in my back, in my, you know, my back pouch and walk around. And then when the kids get hungry, let's just sit down and have something to eat. Let the dogs have some water. Dogs can run around. Excuse me. The dogs can run around and, and do whatever they want to. And, Let's pick it back up again. Oh, and the kids get sick of it. We'll go back to the cabin. You know, we don't have to push it super hard. We got a couple of days to do it, and I'll be back up here next weekend anyway. So. Right, right, and and the nice and like the other advantage too. Where the heck was uh, like with the deer hunting? It's hard, right? I mean, you got to get them up early. I mean, just like you were saying, like you they can sleep. You don't have to wake them up at four o'clock in the morning. And because I've seen that before with my friends' kids, and they get all cranky because they don't—they're not used to getting up at that time. Heck, there's plenty of mornings I get all, all cranky because I don't want to get up that early, right? Yeah, and like, like morning, like like Saturday's fine, but then Sunday, you're like, I really wish I would have shot this. Like yesterday, so I could sleep yeah. Better. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the weather's nicer generally. I mean, you don't have to hunt November. You can hunt October when it's beautiful out generally. You know what I mean? Maybe some rain, but for the most part, it's gorgeous outside in October. Easier for the kids, easier on me, easier on the dogs. Just, you know, I almost don't want to talk about it too highly because there's such an epidemic. Of, and I think we're blessed with meat eater, all these avenues that are getting people into hunting. That's what we want. We want hunting retention. We want new people into the sport. But you know, there's a really interesting article that Matt Ranella, Steve's brother, wrote about um, he doesn't like it because now all of his hunting spots are packed full of people. Sure. So like you mentioned it before, one thing I don't have to worry about is a lot of people being in the woodcock Because we're talking about how you've never seen a right. guy in the woodcock spot. I don't know that I've ever seen a guy in the woodcock spot. Right. Nobody, nobody hunts woodcock. Barely anybody hunts girls, and if they do hunt girls, they're not getting more than five feet off. They're hunting down the road with their truck, and if they see it, they're going to turn on there and try to shoot it, which they probably won't. And if they do shoot it, they shot it right off the road. The amount of guys getting in and getting after it, so few and far between, it's, it's like, I don't even know if I could say that. And these guys are talking about, you know, you go to the tavern after their day hunting just to get a sandwich or something like that. These guys will be with a rough cross and a rough cross with a lady. And they say, hey, girls hunter, nope, how many, how many birds you shoot this year? And I say, like, I think last year, and I did. Last year was a tough year. I didn't, didn't hunt as much as I did because I had my barricade last year. So, like, but last time, hunting girls, so my numbers were down last year, but I think I ended up forty-seven girls, sixty-six woodcock, and not by myself, not over my knee. But sure. Talk to these guys and they're like, oh, gee, you must be in a really good spot. And I was like, I, I just always kind of think that, like, these people base their grouse numbers off what they're seeing from the truck. And some of those years that people have said that they're the worst years that they've ever hunted, I was seeing grouse all over the place. Like, you know, don't be afraid to go and, you know, shake it up and try a new spot and all this other stuff. This could also be found. You know, it, it's not. So I guess I digress. My point is, I like people into hunting. If you don't really seem to have to worry about people getting into girls, for whatever the reason, I don't know if it's too hard. You don't have the dog, whatever. But right. That's I, would, I would agree with that. I mean, deer hunting, super popular. Waterfall hunting, extremely popular because all the people that got frustrated with what happened with the deer in, in Wisconsin went to waterfall. But you didn't see a huge explosion with the grouse and the woodcock. I will say last year, though, with COVID, I did notice a strong increase or a lot of out-of-state presence in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, though. Because when I went up for my grouse camp, which was the week before Halloween, and the weather was crap because that's when it got super cold and we got all that snow day after day after day. Um, yep. I talked to guys from Maine, Carolinas, Vermont, um, New York, Texas, Arizona, like I saw all these out-of-state hunters. I'm like, what is going on? And three-quarters of the ones I talked to normally went to Canada for yeah, grouse. What do you what do you associate that to? I think from, from the ones I talked to is because the Canadian border was closed and they normally went to Canada for a grouse trip. So why do you think so as a, so why don't you think they picked like northern Michigan, you know, like the UP? I, if I had to guess why they chose Wisconsin, I think it has a lot to do with the Rough Grouse Society hunt here every year now. 
I think that's opened up the North Woods, being, especially being held in Eagle River. And I have nothing against the hunt. I have nothing against Rough Grouse Society. But I think that has put northern Wisconsin on the map more than, like, let's say, the UP or Minnesota. Yeah, and I do think that, the, you know, IGS and AWS does a lot of stuff in northern Wisconsin, which is great. Um, I, think, I think they need to continue to do that. And, and I hope they continue to do that. I think they need to put as much money as they possibly can towards that because we have such good, you know, development. Um, and I'm, I'm okay with people. I mean, realistically, what's the kill percentage? Woodcock's probably a little more, right? But I, I know that... You know, I mean, how many of how many how many flushes per kill? You know what I mean? So it's right, like, right. It's it's a very hard bird to consider yourself a marksman on. You can be a great shot, and it doesn't necessarily mean you kill it. So you chase them all you want, but you don't necessarily think. I I would agree a hundred percent, and I I'm okay with it. And at the end of the day, I am okay with it because from an from an economy standpoint, those places up north need it. They the hotels need it. The bars need it. The restaurants need it, especially last year when they were all hit so hard. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm And like you said, compared to every other sport, like not like for deer or all these other, the numbers still aren't there, even with all these other state hunters coming. No, that is cold. It, it. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Ridiculous how few people do it. And I'm mind blown by it because it's such an amazing sport. And I think... I think it's like, you know, they're not really a crap what musky fishermen because, you know, like people want meat. They want to take something home. If they're going to go hunting, it's not about how many flushes you get, it's how many you get home. And right. you know, hunting, it's, it's about extreme dog work and it's about, you know, enjoying the outdoors enough to get after it, enough to get lucky enough to kill one. So it's like, it's, it's, I don't know. And maybe that, I just never really put my finger on what people would want to. Why they would they wouldn't want to taste it because it's so much more. It's so I, so incredible. I think it's funny you compared it to musky because Steve and I, my, uh, we do it as well too. Because there's been plenty of di- where there's a lot of times we'll count flushes, not kills, and it's the same with musk. Like when we both had the musky bug, which I don't anymore. I, I kind of got tired of chasing those darn toothy fish, but we'd count fowls. I mean, you catch a fish, it's amazing. You shoot a grouse, it's amazing. But there's days where I just can't connect on on musky or on grouse. I mean, there's days where I miss every single one I put up. And we're counting flushes and that or we're counting fouls for it's funny because they like have so many correlations there. And I think, and again, like you said, I mean, the people that chase musk, it's a small percentage of fishermen. Just like the people that chase grouse and woodcock is a small percentage of hunters. I think there's guys that do it, but I mean, I think it's like I'm I've I've chased muskies in my day as well. I've one of my best friends is a huge musky hunter. And um, I think since you're in it. It seems like there's more people that do it, but I mean, if you talk to a normal fisherman, just like if you talk to the normal hunter, the amount of people that upland hunt, very few and far between, especially in Wisconsin. And then if you subtract grouse or out seven from that, just say, say grouse, I think there's a larger number of people that hunt grouse than woodcock. Now, if you say you're a woodcock hunter, people are like, mind blowing, only people are like, what is a woodcock? 
you know, oh, yeah. Nina Snipe. Nina Snipe. Yeah. Don't even exist. It's like, no, they do exist. It, it's a real thing. It's, it's like, there's so few of us that I'm okay with it. But it's, like I said, it's my I don't understand how you couldn't enjoy the crap out of it. It's so much fun. And being so small, like the group of us, we don't get much of a say in our regulations because I would love to see the Woodcock season change slightly, like either the Southern zone open later or there'd be a split like ducks in the Southern zone. Cause if you chase them hard enough, you know, I mean, it's always like the last, like the last week of the season down South and like the two weeks following always seem to be the best. And I'm always like, man, they would just close a couple of weeks. And I know that it's set by federal structure, just like migratory birds, but we have a lot of say in it. But there's not a big voice for the woodcock hunters in Wisconsin to be like, hey, we want a southern zone or we want a split. I mean, I would love to personally see that. And I've done absolutely nothing to champion that change or anything along those lines. But I think there'd be I think it'd be hard to get enough people together to even get the I'm not even sure the DNR would even recognize there's enough of us to warrant a change. I think that's why you would have to depend on like American Woodcraft Society or Rough Rock Society, something like that. And that's a very interesting thing. I've never really thought about it. The thing about the thing about the Woodcock season is like when it's gone, it's gone. How often like, right. after that fight is gone, you don't put any there's no one gone, you don't put any up. Like you know what I mean? It's like they're gone. So it's like I have had it up here where it seems like the season is closed before the birds are gone. But up north I've never had. It seems like right. Seems that's like, why that's why like a split like a southern northern zone or like a split down south because i agree up north you get that first snow you'll get some birds that push through but they're flying past now i mean you'll still stumble into some but like there's definitely them seasons down here where it's closed and we are like i'll go back out with the camera because there's just the flights are still coming in well for sure but i mean you know to play the devil's advocate how often and I've, I, I, I know what's happening. How often has the flight been physical that season even done now? So you get sure. those really wet, rainy winter uh, falls where it seems like the flight is gone and you've got two weeks of season left and you couldn't buy a woodcock. You know, That's it, true. It's like, so it's, it's like, I get it. I understand it. It'd be not, and the beauty of if you did that, if you extended that season or had a split season, you're not almost not really going to hurt anything because when the flight's gone, it's gone. Right. And there's like, there's like eight of us in the state of Wisconsin that actually do this. So, <laughs> I mean, you figure it out. If you extend it for another two weeks, you know, three birds a day times 24 birds a day, if we were to kill them every single day, you're, not, you're talking about like, you know, 125 birds. It's not that big a deal. So, right. But that's the beauty of these these things like uh, Rough Girl Society, American Woodcock Society. That's your avenue to get through to all this stuff because you're right. There's not a lot of us. There's not a lot of us that are going to get through to in, in the state, especially Woodcock. There's, I, I mean, I, I would love to know the actual number of woodcock hunters. Not girl hunters, I think the number is a little higher. But like woodcock guys that go out on a Saturday to do like like you'll drive right past the spot where they dump the pheasants, right? But you're wow. you'll drive right by, wave all, all those guys, and you're gonna go chase. That's like how many of us are? There's like there's not many. There's, it's so I would love to know that number. So it'd be cool if some people spoke up and you know said I love chasing woodcock because I think they're it's a pretty, it's a pretty low number. I, that and it's my favorite. It, it just hands. It's I I enjoy it more than grouse because they hold so tight, and you get like 
I love the photography of it. Like, cause you can actually like, if you're paying attention, if you're on your, like you can get a picture with a bird right in front of the dog. You can't do that with grouse. You can't get that close to a grouse. The dog can't get that close to a grouse. Um, but they hold so tight and they, they're a little bit easier to hit at least cause I think most times they fly straight up before they fly out. At least that's how I feel like most woodcock go up then out and you kind of get that perfect spot where they hinge if you want to yep. call it that whereas grouse man if they're in the mood they'll fly 10 feet off the ground like like and somehow they make sure to keep your dog right in front of them the whole time yeah or they could fly right down the lane and like be behind the one tree that's there the whole entire time it's like they got right. you know two eyes two, or four eyes two in the front two in the back they know right where to be you know yeah. and i always said <clears throat> woodcock almost kind of fly like a moth they go straight up, and then when they're going through, they're kind of they seem like they're fast, and their wings are fluttering all over the place. But they're 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 not really moving all like that. They just seem like it. I would agree with that. Whereas grouse are going somehow forty five miles an hour in a second and a half, and like they're dodging in between, they're dodging under elders and through pine trees somehow. And I'm like, where'd it go? Yeah, I've got uh, I've got video footage of people shooting at grouse and like tree branches like hinging, and you know, <laughs> just you, you just. You never know what's going to happen because they're they could be going perfectly straight and they're going to turn hard right or you know duck and weave and it's they're that's a crazy hard bird to hit. They can be downright discouraging most of them. I, I agree and like and and that's why like I would agree with what you said going back is it's a very that's not the bird I'm going to introduce new hunters to. No, no. I mean like first time hunters like what I like for me personally when I take first time hunters out I, I normally go pay for pheasants and I take them to a field and I consider it a dog training day so yeah. they're going to hold tight most of the time I mean most of the time pen raised birds hold tight and then I can set them up for success and then I just consider it a dog training day yeah and that's you know you do that or you utilize the the, the pheasant truck you know you right. something like that because it's you want to show dog work it's hard to show dog work in the woods where you, you know half the time i don't know what my dogs are doing like, i don't even know where they are i mean i know where they are but i can't see them because of the woods you get out sure. of the field or something like that you're you can show somebody what the, the dog they can see the dog's work which is the beauty of it to me i mean i couldn't watch my dog's work it's this, this whole it's not about the meat it's not about the, the wing shooting for me it's not about the cool over under guns and the really awesome iris setter boots and all that other crap to me it's about the dog work 100 that's it um and I, that's what i want to show people is how much work i put into my dog how stellar my dogs are and to me i mean don't get me wrong i don't have like top of the line bird dogs you know compared people probably watch them other people would watch them it's just poppy but to me they're great right and that's what i want that's what i want to show people. no i agree and it's and that's why I choose to upland hunt. That's why you even said you choose to upland hunt. It's to be with the dogs. It's to watch the dogs. And I've said this before, to me, hunting's an experience. It's not about shooting an animal that adds to the experience and creates a whole different type of emotional set. But I mean, it's about the overall experience. It's about being with friends, watching your dogs work, watching watching the sunrise through a meadow. I mean, all of it, it's all this, it's all those experiences. That's why I'm out there. It's not just to shoot a bird. It's not just for one thing. It's to watch my dog work. It's to see, like to get that opportunity at that, when she does have that perfect point and she's steady to the shot and she gets the retrieve, which doesn't happen all that often. Cause like I said, we missed a lot of them pivotal years for training. So I have a woodcock I'm mounting just for that because it was that perfect perfect scenario everything was great and it's those moments and those are the ones that i 
I go for every single time. It's the whole experience. It's watching, it's watching her work a scent trail and like putting the pieces together in her head, trying to figure out this bird's running. Where is it running to? How do I get in front of it? Or like her, like has she's learned how to put like how much pressure can I put on a grouse? And every year that seems to slightly change because some years they're super spooky. Other years they can kind of crowd them. And it's watching her try to figure that out every time and learn as she goes because every hunt she learns as well. Yep. And that's, that's, you know, like reading a dog, watching a dog. Those are, those are the only things that I, all the other stuff is just hopping on the cake. You know, the, the birds in the vest, the meat in the freezer, the, the sunsets, the sunrises, all that other stuff. <clears throat> to me, watching the dogs work is where it's at for me. And, you know, there's, so many things that you know that woodcock that you're mounting that that's just a constant reminder of that perfect memory yep. that you always have and it's going to always be there at the top of your the top of your list that you know you get those shots you said you moved 34 woodcock in an hour and a half it's just that that's one time that you're working towards every single time you know to get to that perfect time so that's that's burned into my memory forever i'll never forget that day and it was the last really solid hunt my lab had because he was nine at the time yeah nine or ten he was old i mean that was like an hour and a half is that, that was pretty much all he could do especially chasing that many birds i mean he was done like his hips hurt like i had to rest him i think for three or Your four days my hips hurt too but i mean <laughs> just like my wife like just blown away like everything about that even the dog was like i you could just tell he was he had so much drive that day because he was just so amped up. Like it didn't matter that his hips hurt. It didn't matter that he was old. It didn't matter that his face was gray and he was tired. There were so many birds in front of him. And like, that's the memory I hold on to for him. It's like all those birds and, and my wife being able to experience that. And that's probably going to be the greatest woodcock day I ever have. Cause I, I highly doubt I'll ever beat it. Gives you something to chase though. You know, it does. You gives you something to look forward to. You know, it's, it's just, <clears throat> It's just, it's just amazing to me that we're almost allowed to do this because it's so, it's like, it's, it's so much fun. It's almost like it should be illegal. You, know, <laughs> you get up there in that, in the North woods where, I mean, I, I get a solid feeling from you that that's where you'd rather be as well. Um, Absolutely. I, I mean, that's where I'm, I'm biding my time down here until I can be up there full time because that's where I want to be. I'm sure winters are sucky, but as far as. <laughs> As far, as far as like also there's nothing that beats you know that smell and that, that crispness and all that other stuff but um it's like you only get a few of those perfect days a year and it's hard to it's hard to imagine missing them you know and you, like you said you're, you're constantly chasing that that one day that you had that was that was perfect and you'll never have that again you're never going to have that exact no. day always going to be another it's going to be perfect but it's going to be a different kind of so right the dog's going to be the dog's going to be different the terrain might be different even if even if you're hunting the same area i mean water levels change things age i mean the forests age i mean you're going to have as grouse hunters we can't keep going back to those same old areas as they start to age out i mean we have to transition to different woods as the birds transition and everything kind of continues to move forward and like you said, you're always chasing that hunt, but as you're chasing that hunt, you're, you start chasing it in different areas and you make different memories with different dogs and everything. And it's a constant progression of that experience, I guess. Yeah, you know, and I spend I spend about half my time hunting tried and true spots when I'm up north. 
I spend the other half trying these things. Because if you just hunt the try and true spots, like you said, I think we're going to end up. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Over the years, they're going to burn on These birds oh. are going to move out of there. And I think, and birds move throughout the season. So a spot that's good in, early, in mid-September is not going to produce in mid-October. A spot that's going to produce in mid-October is not going to produce in mid-November or December or January. You know, it's, 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 it's ever-changing. And that's why I'm constantly trying new spots. And Onyx has changed the game for me with that. Um, oh, absolutely. I'm still a geek with, I wish I would have grabbed one, but I'm still a geek with like paper forestry maps. You can All right. Up north, you can get the forestry maps where with the different years that year classes that they did the cutting, and then I've got them laminated because, yeah, they're like five years old, but like it doesn't matter because if I kill birds in this year class, I just go to that same year class, right? Class, you know what I mean? So it's just it's like it's older, but it's the same. So, but right, if you're constantly hunting the same stuff all the time, like it's like fishing the exact same fishing. Like, great, you're not you're not expanding. You're not not learning anything. You're not making new areas. You're not, you're not making, you know, you can have new tried and true spots if you keep moving. Um, you know, the other little secret that I have is if I do kill a girl in a spot, the very first girl that I kill, the very first thing I do is I, I, I always carry Ziploc bags on. And the first thing I do is I rip open the crop. And then sure. I, check out, I check out what they're eating because, you know, you might have just got lucky. If you kill one in this, you know, 10 year you're cutting, and that just so happened to be a bird that was on the edge and it's moving out of there. And you could trip, you could work that all day long because you killed one there. And that would be that might be the only bird that's there. But if you rip open the crop, you're going to be able to tell what what it was eating. So you know, full high bush cranberry, and there's no high bush cranberry to be found where you're hunting. You're not going to kill anymore, right? Right. So you just you know the food, the birds are moving the food. You need to move with the birds. If you could be a step ahead of yourself and then find out where the birds are eating, you know maybe they're full of blueberries or acorns or whatever they're eating right that's what you need to know so it's like just one little nugget of that's what i always like to do right and that's why i'm constantly trying these spots because like i said they're gonna burn out so i have spots that we used to with my dad that i bet you wouldn't even see a good that was sure. you know, 20 years ago and now some of those spots that we would never have hunted then have been cut and now we're hunting those spots. So, right i mean the forest changes with how they cut it and like you said, you might flush a bird and hunt an entire area, but if you don't actually look to see what that bird was feeding on, why that bird was there, it could have been bumped by another hunter. It could have been bumped by a predator. It could have just been moving through for some reason, like changing locations based on food or weather, like, like you said, because they change habitat over the year. I mean, if you're not actually thinking about why that bird was there, you're going to wind up wasting a lot of time. Well, and one, one time that sticks out to me is one time we worked a spot, we were working at Edge, and we uh, we moved, uh, it had to be like three, four birds that were, you know, all keeped up, and it was like right away, we hunted that same cover for what we thought. We didn't kill any of those birds, we hunted, we hunted that, like, the cover that they thought they were in for a couple more hours, we didn't move any birds. It turns out they were actually in the neighboring, like, we were on an Edge, so they were actually in that little bit older fish cover that we didn't think they were in, 
we made a big move when we came back and we started to, you know, started to move birds. And I was like, oh, well, uh, I mean, if, if we would have just thought about that and tried something right. new, but we were so hung up on hunting this young cutting that we didn't think that they'd be in this little bit older cutting that was adjacent to it. So they, you're always trying to better yourself, but you know, you keep your eyes open and think outside the box. Because, and that, that's kind of my point before with these, these guys that think that there's no grouse now. They're around. They're just not stupid. Like, they're not going to hang out next to the road all the time. Like, they're, no. like if you've seen by the road, they're great, but there's just as many that aren't by that road. It, it, all girls don't just sit next to the gravel road. Like, you can go into the woods a couple hundred yards or make a big loop or go a mile. I've killed, I, that's my, my, my favorite thing to do is just make a huge loop. Just, just get in there and time myself out on, on, on it. So just take a loop there. That's going to be what, six miles. That'll take me about three and a half hours. That'll be good for the dog. Get in there and make a huge loop. Come back out. I explored some new stuff. Didn't see anybody else. You know, maybe I got to a good spot and maybe I know I don't want to. So. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's very rare we're walking trail. I mean, most of the time we're busting brush. I mean, that's what we're doing. I mean, we'll walk trail to get somewhere. Sure. But I mean, we're off trail. Like it's very, the only time we have to wind it on a trail is if it's like day three of grouse camp and the dogs are tired and it's just like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll take it easy. And, and then they get birdie and then they're off trail. And now it's like, all right, here we go. But yeah, but I mean, so you got your buddies in girls camp. How many guys you got? Along. Just me, me and one other guy. So one dog, just your dog, or does he have a dog as well? He has a dog too. He's got a setter. Yep, he's got a setter. Um, she's she's getting older now. I think she's twelve because she was oh, a year God. younger than Bandit, and she was born deaf. Really? Mm-hmm. So what kind of hurdles did he have to overcome to train that dog? A lot, a lot. Um, it's a great dog. It's a great dog. It will not retrieve. Um, he never really force fetched it, but it's never been able to associate like a gunshot with a falling bird. So it, it has a very hard time even like recognizing when a bird is shot. Yeah, it would have to be like in a field and it would have been watching it probably, right? Right, yeah. exactly. So, but he's able to get the dog. To, look, most of the time, he'll, the dog will actually point a dead bird. So he'll just get the dog to hunt the area where the bird fell and then she'll repoint it dead, which works for him. That's um, Vibrate on a collar is here. I mean, still sometimes like she hunts close um very visual hunter as well like she'll like if steve's like i'm um, hitting the vibrate for her to cut like a lot of times she'll run to me because she runs to the first hunter in orange and then she's like oh wait that's not you <laughs> yeah. but i mean there's definitely some challenges but she's she's a phenomenal dog like i she's that's part of the reason why i went to a pointer because it was just amazing to watch her work now, do you think so your dog was six or is six my dog is nine Okay, so getting up there in years, are you thinking about getting another one? I am going to get another one. I will probably stay with a Griff. I think that's my plan right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the coat's just a lot. <laughs> the burrs are a lot. They really are. It's give or take, though, really. I mean, where you the one thing I like about the Griff is they seem to be a lot more you know, mild-mannered. They're, they're right. not such a harsh dog. And that that comes with its its problems, you know. I mean, I've had I've had issues training, and not issues, but you know, like training my short hair compared to training my griff. Two different, you know, it's night and day, apples and oranges. And I just yet can't use the package with the griff that I came with there. But if you already have a griff, you know, that's I, I always said 
I would do this again. I would do a short hair drift combo because it's my short hair is a big running dog. It applies a lot of pressure on birds. Sure. Is a closer working dog. So it's like it's, when I do hunt them together, it's like they're, they're kind of working the, the areas that the other one wouldn't. Yep. It's like we're moving a lot of birds because of that. Um, it's a very good combo. I, I really enjoy that. I enjoy hunting them alone as well because you give them that one on one time. And I like watching the way that they each work individually because they have a different style. Um, but it's just interesting to talk to guys that have a breed and they're that breed guy. You know, like I'm a drift guy, I'm a short hair guy, and it's like, you know, well, why? And they kind of always have like a most of stupid reasons why they're a drift guy, why they're a short hair guy, or whatever. Sure. You know, they all have their beautiful traits to them and they all have their quirks and they all have their negatives. You know, some of it's bull crap, I think. But, um, it's interesting to talk to guys like you that have drift because they kind of get a bad rap. And not, not so much like people think they're beautiful, but like, I don't know if you find this as well, but I find people that are upland guys, that are dog training guys, they think that drifts are like, like they kind of do for like Britney's. Nothing, there's nothing wrong with Britney's. It's another little slower working dog. They're, yep. they're, they're more methodical. Like, yeah, like the princess. They would say like they're the princess of the field. But it's like, you see, like everybody jokes about my grip. Because like, she doesn't, they're like, don't tell her, but she doesn't know she's not a short hair. <laughs> she's, she's, she's lived with a short hair her whole life. Sure. But it's like they're not, they're not all like that. You know, it's like, like people aren't all what people think they are. So it's, it's, it's crazy that, Crazy to talk to guys that, that are like, I would never get a grip. Well, why not? It's, well, I don't know. It's, it's just gonna fuck with the hair. I mean, it does fuck with the hair, but it's not. It's not like it's not the end of the world. Hair. It's not. But see that, like you said, there are trade offs. Because one thing I really do love about her is she is methodical and she works close. And I love watching my dog work. Big yeah. running dogs are awesome. Like to get a dog that runs big and. But some of the stuff I hunt, like the woodcock covers I hunt, I mean. It's great, but I'm not going to see the dog work, and it's going to take me forever to get up there to catch up to that point. I mean, I love watching. I love watching a close working dog. That might come from having a lab for so long too, because you have to keep it close because it's a flushing dog. So I love just being able to watch my dog work in thick cover, and so that was one of the reasons why I went with a grip because I knew from what I had read they are a closer working dog normally. That's their average. They're methodical. I like methodical because I like I like leaving an area knowing that. If we didn't move a bird, there probably wasn't a bird there. Whereas I've been with people that have dogs that are moving so fast constantly. Like I know they, I've, I've watched my lab move Woodcock behind them because the dog blew right past that bird. And with grouse, they would bump them, right? Because grouse don't like pressure. But Woodcock, a big running dog that is like more focused on like running than birds, they'll go right by a Woodcock because that Woodcock will just sit. Mm-hmm. Totally agree with you there. Yep. I, I mean, the shirt is big running, not to a fault. Like she's just sure. she's faster. She stays yep. close. She hunts pretty close, but she's just she's faster. There's there's no time for screwing around with her. I mean, not that she's gonna flush a bird, but you get my point. She, I know I mean, exactly what you're saying. But the style, you know, like I'm sure you and I have a different hunting style. Right. So we would pick apart cover differently, and that's what my dogs do. They they're picking apart cover differently, and it's I like talking to grip guys because. They are so similar. Like I bet if I picked apart five quirks that my grip had, I bet your grip has at least three of them. Probably. Like, case in point, does your grip always have to have something in it? Uh no. Uh, well, take that back. Like if we're out on the river and I've been throwing a bumper, that bumper's in her mouth the whole time. 
or she'll lay down and if she stands back up, bumpers right back in her mouth. We joke around that it's her nook. So like if somebody comes over, the dog gets excited, you have to pick something up and have it in her mouth. You just have to. And like I know three guys in the trip, they're all the exact same. And it's just it's funny to tell the difference. You know, everybody thinks that she just has a, these dogs, and not I'm not saying me, but you know, you talk to people like it's just like that's their breed standard. That's just what they do. You know, that's just that that's it's part of their it's part of their breed. That's what they do as a breed. Like they're if you have a herding dog, they're gonna constantly nip you in a calf. That's what they do. They don't like fast movements, but this all there. Right. And if you have if you have a griffin, you know, they have these little quirks that as a breed they have that because they were all bred. And I mean it's just it's just it's 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 cool to talk to other people that have a bike dog. And it just such a bad rap because of the the long hair and all the maintenance that everybody thinks that they have with it. And it's, it's a small group of people. Like I think I read that interesting statistic about Griff that there was like under 150 of them well last year in the United States. Wow. I yeah. believe it because breeders are not that common, especially when you get like the good hunting line breeders. They're not that common. And they're not and they're not cracking out litters like some of these lab guys do and everything else. And nothing against lab breeders. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying it's it's very select breeding, it seems like from a very limited number of breeders yeah and i should forward you this article that i just read about the, the, the history of grips and it's actually very interesting i would um, like but- I, I would like that i want and to touch base on what you mentioned about training griffs are a very different dog to train because they're extremely smart at least mine is extremely smart almost to the point of being stubborn but she's not stubborn she's a soft dog like I think the best the best way I've ever heard it explained for a griff training a grift is you need a heavy hand and a white glove. That's honestly I've heard that before too. And that's exactly what it is because the things that I can do on the four flex table with my short hair, I could not do I there's no way I could pull it off with my grift. Like she would turn herself inside out to get away from it. And I'm not talking about like the kind of pressure that you would call PETA about this thing, like, you apply a little bit of pressure on my grip turns inside out. He just doesn't want to, but you yep. have to be stern because otherwise they're going to walk all over. So it's like, it's, that's the best analogy I've ever heard about it as well. I mean, it's hard because you're not training a stubborn dog, so you can't use any type of, like, forceful tactics. And I'm not saying force, like, hurting the dog. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but you can't just let them do their own thing because they're smart enough. They'll walk right over you and they'll take charge. I mean, it's a very unique training such like training with a griff. It's, it's challenging. It, it is challenging. It's a challenging breed to chain train. And because of that, I don't know if I would recommend one for a first time trainer. No, absolutely not. Um, and realistically, if I was going to read, I would probably recommend if you were going to get your very first dog, you were, let's say you were set on a versatile breed. I would probably go with a short hair because, Good short hair is easiest to find. You know, like wire hairs, all those other dogs, it seems hard to find a good breeder. Short hairs seem to be a they're not too right. far between. You can find good short hairs all over the place. They're easy to train. You can screw up with a short hair and still the dog will still turn out. It's not too late. But the griff, if you're too heavy handed, like I said, that dog's just going to implode and you're just yep. going to, you're just going to, you know, anybody can train an easy dog. Any dog that can take pressure, anybody can train that. It's the dogs like a griffin where you can really find out if you are a good trainer. Because if you have a good griffin that does stuff that other griffins don't, you're probably a pretty good trainer because you've figured out ways to, you know, weasel through those loopholes that this griffin spike and all that other stuff. So it's, you're right. I would not recommend a griffin. 
preferred hunting as your first dog. I would agree. I mean, like you said, short hairs, very forgiving. I mean, very forgiving. Labs, very forgiving. There's just breeds out there that aren't forgiving and you can't have a bad day with them. Like, like some of the mistakes I made in my lab when I'm younger, I could never make those mistakes with my Griff or she would never forget it. She wouldn't like, she wouldn't cuddle up next to me afterwards and be like, it's all right. You had a bad day. You had a bad, we had a bad day training. No, you can't have that bad day. Like you have to be mature enough. And that's another thing I'll say, I guess not being your first dog is also, you need to be mature enough as a trainer to know when to walk away. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Like if it's not going right, you're better off rather than forcing the situation with a griff. You got to walk away and try again. Like even if it's a little break, like you got to reset because I know my griff has a me- my griff has a memory. Or you got to back up and give them something positive. I found right. I'm not necessarily a negative reinforcement trainer, but I'm definitely not a positive reinforcement trainer. And like I think even if you have to back up. A- up and give them something positive. I have to be very positive with Griff all the time to keep her energy and her, you know, excitement level up. As soon as her excitement level down and this is too much work, she's checking out, and we're not going to get in real, real, real quick. I have to keep her excited about and interested in the training at hand, or you know, we're done. So, like a lot of these things, like the things that I really struggle with her about is, is um, you know, like a duck search where there's not that instant gratification. Like anytime there's a gun involved, so we go and she she's steady to, you know, steady to flush, shot, fall, and retrieve the hand. But there's that instant gratification. She's seen, she's smelling that bird. If she's seen that bird, then she's retrieving the bird that I had just shot. That's fine, you know. But like duck search, where she's got to go out, get in the swamp and search for, you know, 15, 20 minutes before she finds them, and then bring the duck back. Those are the things that she struggles with because she's like, I'm bored. I'm, I'm moving on. You know, right. Really hard thing to do for her. And when they're and and if they're bored, it's really hard to train because you can't apply like your normal pressure. Like you can't. I mean, so you can't apply pressure. So you have to figure out a way to make that excitement there. Which on a duck church like that, I've watched that. That's not an easy thing to train that for some dogs. I mean, especially especially for like what you're saying with a grip, because if they're not excited about it, you can't push them to do it. You got to figure out how to make them want to do it. Well, and like you said before, there's such a close working methodical dog to take that that and flip that around in their head where, you know, okay, so 20 minutes ago, I wanted you to stay close, hunt birds, and stay on point, you know, don't break point, stay steady, and then bring back the hand. Now, 20 minutes later, I expect you to go out and search for a duck 20 minutes away from me without any command. That's a hard thing to teach anybody. Especially right. a, a close working dog like a griffin, it's a very hard thing to do, and that's that's one thing that people can't understand that you can't. So then, when that doesn't work out, the normal way of training duck search or something like that doesn't work out. Now you can't just like lose it in the dog because, like you said, they've got a memory; they remember that. Right. You know. And for whatever reason, I feel like my griff really she 
thrives off of my energy. So if I'm nervous, if I'm upset, she can sense that more so than my shorter. My shorter will work too many things. I mean, she's, she's a tough dog and like, she doesn't care if I'm in a bad mood. She's going to go hunt because that's what she does. But sure. Chris, she seems to read off my energy. So she, you know, she was, she, she blew up, she blew up a bird or something and now I'm a little upset. Now she, she's sensing that. So now she's hunting a little bit more cautiously or staying closer or something like that. So that's the difference. It's, it's you know, reading these inconsistencies in my dog is so hard to do. And that's that's what makes a good or bad trainer is being able to read those things. You know, like you said, you you got a dog that was a rescue, and you knew the first thing to do is to make sure that that dog was going to be able to coexist with you, more so than being that dog in the field and pounding on birds all the time. You know, you had your priorities straight, therefore the dog worked out. Had you gone the opposite direction, we don't know for sure, but might not have gone the right way. Exactly. I mean, we did bond over training, which helped. I mean, just going back to basic obedience. I mean, that was a great way for us to bond. Great exercise is a good thing. I mean, working dogs need exercise that all like played a part into it. But yeah, you're right. I had, I, we had to make sure we could coexist as a family before I could worry about making sure she was a good hunting dog. And that took a back table and I can see it now because she's older now and there's things that she doesn't do as well as I would like, but I had to make, I had to, I had to, I had to take one, I, I had priorities that were far more important than having an amazing hunting dog. Because if it, she couldn't be in a family with us, she could be the greatest hunting dog in the world, but she couldn't be in our family then. Right. I mean, like it wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. I mean, and you, if you don't have, if, it, if you have to get rid of the dog, you can't have a hunting dog. If you don't have it, if you don't have right. a dog, you don't have a hunting dog. Right. So it's like, right. you know, um, you know, the, the one thing I will say to kind of lead back to clubs is the beauty of clubs is there's training days all year. So not all year, but like, you know, late winter, early spring, it starts up. You train all summer long. You pass in the fall and your dog has been on birds all year long. And it's not like now magically, you know, middle of August rolls around. The dog's been sitting on the couch for, you know, six months hasn't even seen a bird, done nothing but watch, you know, Dora the Explorer with the kids. And now right. you magically want to get the dog out to go hunt birds. So you have those months worth of training days where even if you're not going to pass, which I find it hard to believe that people won't. If you've gone through the training process, most people tend to want to test dog. But even if you don't, you're going to get out there and your dog's going to be on top of the world. It doesn't take much to have the kind of dog that you take, you know, carry your buddy he barely ever hunts up in birds. He sees your dog work and he's like, oh my God, that's the best dog I've ever said. seen in my entire life. It doesn't take much to get that response out of people. Like, I, I agree. That, like a dog that points, holds till the shot is like 100% better than 90% of pointing dogs out there in the whole entire world. And I think I read a, and I don't quote me on this, I did read it somewhere. I don't remember if it was in the forum or whatever, but only 10% of all pointing dogs ever passed and nab the utility path. So that means 90% of all the dogs out there never even get run through the utility path. Sure. So if you have a dog that does that, you have the upper 90% of all dogs. I mean, like, think of it. That's, that's mind-blowing, right? Right. So yeah. that's, that's my pro to these hunting clubs, anything. AKC, uh, NABDA is one that I belong to. NASRA, there's there's hundreds of them. You can you know, pick one. They have just German Short Hair Club of America, you know, Griffin Wire Hair Griffin Club of America. Right. 
they have these tra- and there's local clubs. I mean, we have three, four clubs within an hour and a half drive of us. I could take any single one of them. And they have birds. They have all the equipment. They have training days set up. Most of them have knowledgeable people that are there that can help you with it. And when you get to hunting season, your dog is going to be a hundred times better than your dog would have done. You're just going to be the same time. So that's my shameless plug for, you know, NAVDA or AKC or anything like that. Because we want to see you have success. And that's, and that's a good point too. Like, don't be nervous about going there as a trainer, like as a person that's never trained a dog before. Even if you started on your own, like even if you started and your dog's two years old and like, you're like, I don't know what to do. That's fine. Go. I mean, when I first joined that HRC, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I had a nine month old lab. I didn't have a clue. And they welcomed me with, and they welcomed me with open arms. There was no judgment. And that's one thing I felt like, even when I went and like worked with the Madison club for those two times before I even had a dog, like there was no judgment from anyone there. They were all happy that you chose that route because anybody I've talked to that has been in any one of these types of clubs wants to see more people in the clubs because at the end of the day we all want what's best for the dogs and that experience from all these trainers to help you and to help these new trainers along is what we want like we don't want you we don't want you to fail as a trainer we want to help you succeed as a trainer so don't be nervous like for anybody out there who's listening who's on the fence like i don't know what to do or man my dog is so far gone it's not it's not just go you can't teach an old dog new tricks you can teach a young dog new tricks and you know like potty training for puppies for dummies is not always the answer i mean every dog is different some dogs you know you can watch that teaser guy all you want he's a great dog trainer He's not in your help. You know, right. Like, somewhere hands-on where somebody can help you with your dog because we all have problems. And we were all like you said, we were all there at one point. Like at one point, the best dog trainer in the world as George Hickox at one point had never seen a dog. Had never right. he, at, at some point he was having his first dog and he was getting help. He didn't learn this all. He didn't make this up. He didn't he's just perfecting it. You know what I mean? So exactly. Don't be afraid to ask help, ask help because that's what those clubs are there for. And you're going to be happier, you know, like for many reasons. You're going to put more birds in the in the bag and you're going to not have to yell at your dog and you're going to enjoy your time more. And like, what's not the level? Yeah, it'll cost a little bit of money, but you know, how are you going to spend it on something stupid anyway? So you might as well go out there and, you know, do in the grand, In the grand scheme of things, a little, that's not a big, that's not a big drop in that bucket when it comes to owning a dog. There's no. far greater expenses in owning a dog than than working with a local club. You know, to to loop back around and talk about what we were talking about before, like how many of these guys that have these bird dogs are just going to go run on the same farms anyway? And right. you and I both know what it costs to you know go and hunt birds at a game farm. So like if you're already going to spend that large chunk of money, why wouldn't you want to impress the guys there with a good dog? You, know, you don't have to send your dog to a professional trainer for ten thousand dollars to have a good dog. You can do it yourself. So it's just, I don't. I don't think a lot of people know that. Like they don't know that there's that avenue. That that there's guys out there like me that are not professional dog trainers that have dogs that go hunting with people where they do think that their dogs are professionally trained. So there's other options. It's not you know you don't have to pay somebody to do it. You don't have to have a crappy dog. So it's like you know, I wish people more people knew that. I I've been a big proponent of clubs every time. 
on on Facebook, different forums back in the day. Every time I saw a post about a new hunter, the first thing, like the, a new dog trainer, join a club. It, it get and if you and if you don't want to join a club, work with a train the trainer type program, something to help you. Because at the end of the day, it's for the dog. Like if you don't want to join the club, fine, I get that. But I I have a friend that's a train the trainer. I mean, he has his own kennel. He's a professional trainer. And he normally won't just take your dog and train it. He wants you there. He's going to train you on how to train your dog. I mean, there's programs like that as well. I mean, there's yeah. so many different avenues out there that you don't have to just send your dog away for six months. Well, how many dogs do you know that have gotten sent away to a trainer? The trainer does the work. And then the dog comes back and two months later, the dog doesn't do crap because the guy doesn't know what he's doing. So yep. your friend doing it that way. That's the way that you have to do it. You have to train the person. I, I don't believe there's no such thing as bad dogs as a bad woman. So yep, I've heard that you, as well. You know, you need to know what you're doing as well. You know, and there's a funny thing that we always say about it. very rarely do we have people come as a bird dog to dog training, but we only see them once a day. Sure. Many of these people are coming year in and year out, and I've been training with the same group of guys for five years. Most of them. It's a big number to keep getting bigger. You, know, you get more and more guys every year. And the first year you show up, you just have your normal pickup truck, truck and a dog. And then the next year, you got a cap on the back of your truck. And then you got a curtain in the back. And the next year you show up, you got like a big dog box in the back. And then you've got the exact system. And yep. you got, you know, then the year after that, these guys are coming up with like dog trailers and they've got three pointers and stuff like that. It's just this obsession that just keeps growing. And before you know it, it's like, like you're like, man, I'm like neck deep in this bird hunting world, and I love it. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's a great thing too. Like for people that love to upland hunt, it's a great thing to do in the off season because it keeps it centered and focused. Like that's one thing this podcast has done for me. I'm so much more excited this year about hunting than I have been any other year because I'm constantly talking hunting. And that's the one thing I forgot about when I worked with the club was there was constant talk. You were always driving, like you were always training your dog to go hunting. That's what we're doing. And like, it makes the season, like the anticipation and the excitement build all that much more because it's constantly front and center in your mind. Well, you know, the beauty of these hunting clubs, uh, these, these dog training clubs, we're not training our dogs to do stupid crap, like roll over that they don't need to do anything. By all means, train your dog to roll over. But these are practical things that these dogs need to know how to do. Like, if you are in Iowa and you drop a pheasant in a cold body of water, are you going to swim out there and get it? No. Right. Or such a very good thing then, because your dog will go get it, because they were trained to do that. Or right. a duck search, you need a duck, and it's swimming around, you can, your dog can go do it. We're, we're not training our dogs to do things that aren't practical. These are all hunting, you know, related activities that they need to know how to do to have the kind of dog that you know, blow your mind. I agree. I agree. I think on that note, I think we, we're going to wrap her up. I mean, I mean, NAVD has been a great thing. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, let's, let's find out how, how can people find you on Instagram, Facebook? How, how can people find you? Uh, you can find me. Um, I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm on Facebook once in a while. Not, I'm sure. more of it. Instagram, Instagram platform type guy. Um, you can either find me at, I'm just at Kate Abler, um, or you can find me at, at Sustained Outdoors. Um, those are both our 
system. So this is kind of what I do back and forth. I'm not huge into it. Um, those are my platforms. You can find me at Kate Ablo on Facebook as well if you're looking. Um, I may or may not be there. I just <laughs> I get it. I get it. Instagram's <laughs> Instagram's Instagram's far less bullcrap when at the end of the day. <laughs> exactly. I don't need to like at least when I go on Instagram, I'm not like stressed out and right. Right. And people's bird dogs and girl pictures and go to sleep. So um Is there anybody where you yeah. want to thank? I just want to say I I I, I Appreciate you having me on here. That was uh, it's been it's been a great time, great conversation, and I Absolutely. hope that uh, hope that people uh, hope that they give us give upland hunting a chance. Um, not too many of you, just a couple of you. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm going to be um, selfish about this. Like I want to mentor people, but not too many people. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, and it's it, you know that it's kind of the age old thing. You know, take somebody hunting, but take somebody. Take somebody yep. out there. Show them, especially this day and age, all the crap that's going on right now. Take somebody out there and get them out there. And take somebody. If you're going training, take them with you. You know, and uh, everybody should get a pointer. That's that's the only thing that I think that I would like to. <laughs> Love it. Well, man, I highly, I really appreciate you being on. The conversation's been great. Um, I think I think it's going to really open up a lot of people's eyes that listen to it about how special and how what versatile the clubs are to really make a better dog. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that a uh, good dog makes a good person. You know what I mean? So I, I do. Like, lock your dog in the trunk and lock your wife in the trunk for an hour and open the trunk up. Which one's happy to see you. Got <laughs> <laughs> a person, you know what I mean? I, I do. It's been a long time since I locked my wife in the trunk. So. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, yeah, no, I think uh, I think everybody should um, just think about it. If you're if you're already into upland hunting, think about pointers. And if you're already into hunting, there's not that many people upland hunting. It's a good way to get out. It's a good way to get after it. Um, so I think that's a pretty good way for everybody to enjoy themselves. So. Agreed, and it's good for the entire family because they all can take part. Yep, agreed. Well, I appreciate you being on, and to everyone else, thanks again for listening. I, I can't do it without you guys. And I know I say that every time, but I seriously appreciate everyone that turns it tunes in weekly to listen to me rant on with random people. I mean, it's great. And with the conversations, great. So until next time, thanks, thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on paddle in Finn. Don't forget to go check out our website at paddle, the letter N and fin.com. Don't forget to check out the YouTube channel at paddle and fin. If you got a question, comment, want to hear from a future guest on a future episode, feel free to email us at paddle, the letter N and fin at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media at paddle and fin on Facebook and Instagram. Shout out to our show supporters, Angler, the Angler button and app just makes for a better time on the water and creates a virtual logbook for every fishing outing out on the water. Shout out to Rocktown Adventures, located in Northern Illinois, for all your kayaking, camping, and hiking needs. Shout out to Jigmasters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com 